Hello comrades and welcome back to Marxist Voice, the podcast of Socialist Appeal. This Wednesday, the UCL Marxist Society held a joint meeting in response to the sharpening struggle that's taking place in Peru. As you may know, late last year, the democratically elected left-wing president, Pedro Castillo, was ousted in a coup backed by the oligarchy and Western imperialist powers. Since then, an illegitimate government, led by Dina Boluarte, has been carrying out heavy repression of the mass movement of workers and peasants. According to the latest figures, there have now been up to 50 people killed by state forces, and of course there have been many more arrests. So, the UCL Marxist Society, which is part of the Marxist Student Federation, put on a joint solidarity meeting to discuss what's taking place in Peru and how we got there, and more importantly, what we can do as revolutionaries in Britain to support the struggle of Peruvian workers and peasants. In this uh, panel discussion, we have three speakers, the first of which will be Betty Raza from the Movimiento Michaela Bastidas UK and the platform 12th of October. And following Betty, we'll have Cesar Berger from the Peruvian group Iscarada Socialista, who has just returned from Lima. And lastly, we'll have Jorge Martin, who is a member of the International Marxist Tendency and the editor of America Socialista, the International Marxist Tendency's Latin American journal. So we hope you enjoy this week's episode of Marxist Voice, brought to you by Socialist Appeal. Thank you for the invitation to be part of this event. Um, I am a Peruvian activist and internationalist, um, and I represent the movements uh, that have mentioned our comrade, Movimiento Micaela Bastidas and Platform 12th of October. Um, one thing that I wanted to say is that uh, these uh, events that are happening in Peru, uh, we need to analyze clearly and the deep of the impact of the uh, Fujimorism. Alberto Fujimori uh, was the patriarcha, the start of the Fujimorism in 1990s. And um, he won the election. He was a nobody. He was a known person in the polit political sphere. And uh, suddenly he became one in the, of the fav favorites in, in the last moment of the election in the first and second, um, second rounds. So he was competing uh, in the second round with uh, um, Mario Vargas Llosa. And uh, because Peruvian people were so tired of the traditional political parties, they, they were not leaders, they were involved in corruption, and um, uh, they, they were they, um, uh, disappointed with the leaders, left or, or right-wingers. So they decided to, to vote for this unknown person. Alberto Fujimori. So he became the president in, in 1990, and uh, he was supposed to be um, the president until 1995. But um, he was a very ambitious uh, person, and uh, he decided that um, the, the country needed to develop in all the sense, but uh, he was the right opportunity to to impose the neoliberalism economy in our country. So he started to, to make contracts, economical contracts, 
in order to sell our resources, our companies, um, he was sta uh, started to privatize um, uh, our companies and the, the resources. And um, at the same time, uh, while he was the president democratically, he started to have a vision that he could do a new country, a country in where uh, a leader uh, uh, can conduct in a in a uh, in, in a form like too many people say that he was a, <clears throat> a Japanese descendant. So maybe he was seen like an emperor. He wanted to be an emperor in the country. So he started to to do some corruptions and to in the in the Peruvian uh, in the state's organism institutions like uh, los different powers. Um, electoral power, judicial, um, uh, and uh, other uh, institutions, the banks and the, the press. So he started to put uh, people that he can trust, and the corruption was, uh, um, was having uh, money. So he was at the same time laundering money. He was in contact with uh, drugs, um, uh, cartels, and uh, he started to to use people, ask the favors, and in, in contrast to give them money. So he started uh, to, to buy the Congress uh, representative of different uh, parties. He started to buy the press. Uh, he was controlling not only the national press, but also the private uh, press. So with money, he had the press and everything so he, he was questioned, uh, obviously, but um, then he decided to have a very sinister um, um, mentor, assessor, la, uh, his name is um, Vladimiro Montesinos, and uh, he um, started to impose uh, the idea of having a dictatorship. So for that means he, need, he needed to take the power as a, a cop, um, uh, how do you pronounce the coup? Yeah, in the so he made an um, auto coup on the fifth of uh, April, nineteen ninety two. The Peruvian we all remember that date, because he uh, in the national television started to say that uh, uh, he need to impose a, a a new regime in the country, in because he was having problems in the Congress with the opposition, but he needed to control the country. And he was um, imposing uh, with the army and the police forces uh, repression, a systematic repression. He started to battle with the, the them uh, army guerrilla groups, uh, Movimiento Revolucionario Tupac Amaru, MRTA, and also Shining Path. Both, both uh, organizations have different methods. But uh, one of the credit that people in, in that time gave to Fujimori was that he, he ends the terrorism. So he did a lot of um, um, criminal um, uh, acts. He killed a lot of people. He started to disappear people, especially in the Andes where he believed, and in Ayacucho where he believed that the terrorists were there. So even in Lima, <coughs> in a party, Barrios Altos, uh, there was a um, barbecue 
and uh, he was told that there was a one terrorist inside, and so he entered with the army and he killed all people uh, from the party, including children, uh, as long as he killed one terrorist. So it was a lot of violence in Peru, but uh, that is uh, I wanted to to pass over. Um, why I mentioned the the uh, Fujimori because Fujimori uh, did the state as uh, um, a a country in Peru from uh, he did in Peru a country where he can control everywhere and in the, in order to to impose a new regime with children like Hitler did. Uh, with formation of an education of children in order to see, uh, to get sympathy from the new generations, he um, started to, to revise the curriculum, university curriculum, the school uh, curriculum. He deletes, he takes off the courses of um, philosophy, um, dialectic materialism, historic materialism, and everything that is, is uh, allowed us to analyze socially, economical, and political. So all the schools and all the universities were closed, and there were more um, uh, repression, in, uh, and they were uh, checking on every political leader. So <clears throat> with this implication, Keiko Fujimori Herdodar was, was growing up in the middle of this corruption system. So she has, she is one of the person that is behind everything that is happening now in Peru. And uh, in the election of um, 2021, it was a, um, a new prospect of having the people to have a new leader, tired of the Fujimorism, the neoliberalism, the close of the union and everything. So they decided to, to have a new leader, a new what they were looking for. So that is when search emerged uh, Pedro Castillo, a person that uh, he was known for being a um, um, teacher uh, unionist, and that uh, he became from the Andes in Cajamarca, Peru. Uh, he was a, a teacher from a, scholar, a school, primary school, and uh, he was a rondero, a person who looks um, a group, an uh, institution that look after the, 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 the field, the farmers from the uh, vandalized people. So this uh, Pedro Castillo uh, looked for a, a political party, which was given by one of the leftist uh, organizations. And, um, the, the right wing, controlled by the, by the, uh, the, the Fujimorist forces, uh, didn't like Pedro Castillo. But at the end, he won the election. When he won the election, he pro uh, in, during his campaign, electoral campaign, he promised a lot of things that were, were against the, the establishment, like privatize uh, our natural resources, like... Um, um, have a new uh, constituency and uh, and also more participation of uh, people and nation in order to have a plurinational um, state like in Bolivia. 
But this uh, was uh, the right wing was not happy. At the end, the majority of the Congress um, seats were in control of the right wing. So they joined together and uh, make a front to opposite the government of Pedro Castillo. So Pedro Castillo had very good intentions. He promised a lot of things. He came from the roots, from the, can the, the earth, and he knew how uh, is uh, the life of poor people. That was in the south, especially of from Peru. Uh, they vote, they give the majority of vote to Pedro Castillo. The poorer were seeing in Pedro Castillo uh, a new hope the to the person who will at least, at, at last, uh, be a president for the people from the uh, grassroots, from the Peru Profundo, we say the deep uh, Peru. And uh, at the end, Pedro Castillo didn't, uh, uh, didn't um, he did his best, but the Congress uh, was blocking every attempt that he wanted to do, new uh, reforms, new uh, laws. So at the end, the right wing started to complot to, to look for his impeachment for any reason. So when Pedro Castillo put um, uh, ministers of um, left wing, pro, uh, pro, uh, progressist or any similar, the right wing was opposed. They didn't accept in the Congress. They wasn't approved. And at the end, they said, no, you are putting corrupted people. We are going to impeach you for moral, um, immoral uh, matters. Um, he was uh, called for an impeachment once, and then they accused him of having um, corruption involvement, which, in fact, was his family started to do some corruptions. And then um, that was the second impeachment, and they were planning and plotting how to turn down Pedro Castillo. But at the end, uh, Pedro Castillo, we don't know. We were all surprised, the Peruvian people, how what happened and on the 7th of, of December, Pedro Castillo, we don't know if he was pressured or what was going on. He decided to, to, to make a cope uh, like Fujimori, but with no forces. So he said, we are going to close the, the Congress because people was fed up with this uh, Congress that they, it was opposing and putting barriers in the Castillo government. So uh, in the street, people were saying, uh, close the, the Congress. So Pedro Castillo said, I'm going to close the, the Congress. I'm going to, to do a state of emergency in order to put, put, to, to put in place all the people's demands. So at the end, uh, the right uh, wing from the Congress was the right moment to impeach uh, Pedro Castillo. In, 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 the, in the reason that he did a cope to our country. So uh, that was the, 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 the fall of Pedro Castillo. They took the uh, detaining uh, Pedro Castillo. He was feeling a bit weak and was going, heading to the Mexican uh, embassy in order to, to ask for help for him and his family. But his own people, his own bodyguards uh, were called by the police and they handed, even the, uh, instead of going to the embassy, they went to put him in a, in a, in a police place. Um, so uh, obviously the people, Peruvian people were so angry with this situation. They see that they, they started, the ring 
the right wing who lost the election started to have control of the country. And they put Dina Loarte, who was the vice president. She was supposed that, in, in, according to her uh, speeches, she said that she was the left wing. And she also said, if Pedro Castillo is going to be impeached, I'm going uh, to going with him. But instead of doing that, if they, of giving support to Pedro Castillo, she decided to took the presidency with the um, with the um, uh, um, uh, with the como se dice Benia Kunda Benia with the permission and the consent of the Congress, the majority of the Congress. So the surprise was also that uh, even left uh, uh, Congress persons people vote again uh, for the this impeachment of Castillo. So that there is a lot of things that were 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 going on that people have to judge every person that he did uh, this echo to the right wing and the Fujimorist. So now um, uh, Dina Boluarte obviously was not recognized by the people, Peruvian people, and the people started to do protests. I'm not going to say it about, uh, too much about that because my colleague is going to, to talk about that. But the thing is that um, uh, also I wanted to mention that is uh, it, there is a fight, a struggle of classes, but not only classes, it's a small group in, in Lima especially that is people very racist and they don't see the other part of the country, especially from the Andes and the Amazon, that they are people. They, they think that they are rare, uh, rare like many, may, maybe animals. They are ignorant, they are uh, cholos, you call them mestizo people. They are Indios, they call for the in indigenous or original people. So uh, with this, with this um, new government, the racism is started to, to come out. So now we see um, there is a, a struggle, fight of classes, which is inside a very deep racism. So I just wanted to finish uh, in, um, in this moment. And, uh, and maybe for a question that you have, I will be able to, to, to answer. So thank you. Um, thank you to the Marxist Student Society for um, allowing us uh, to have the opportunity to share with you um, what is happening in our country and also to the Marxist Student Federation. Um, yeah, as Sergio said, I'm trying, I'm going to um, yeah, tell you um, a little bit how is the movement going in Peru. But uh, before that, um, I've also considered it necessary to uh, describe very shortly, um, the coup that has happened in, in uh, Peru. Um, and starting from what uh, Betty just said, because uh, we can understand the corruption of the press, we can understand the power uh, of um, the ruling class in the court and in the Congress without uh, the coup of Fujimori's, right? Uh, he, um, um, implemented a way of uh, corrupting um, the media, the state institutions that remains uh, at present. 
And most of the things that we have seen before the coup in Peru uh, have been just the same things that we saw during um, the government or the dictatorship of Fujimori. Uh, this strong relationship between the bourgeoisie and the media and the court uh, and also the Congress. Because if we are going to, to, to understand the coup, it's necessary uh, to see how uh, the ruling class, the bourgeoisie, the national bourgeoisie, but also the foreign, uh, used their power in the Congress, the court, and the media to harass Castillo's government and to push him um, to take uh, well the decision of closing the, the Congress. Uh, but yes, uh, among all these uh, actions that were conducting by the, conducted by the ruling class, we have, for instance, uh, the illegal limitation of powers of the president, because we talk about the coup of Castillo, but we don't say, we don't mention how the Congress um, violated the Constitution. The Congress started limiting illegally the powers of the president. There's a way, there's an institutional way of how to solve the contradictions between the executive power and the Congress. And it's by uh, closing the Congress and calling to new uh, parliamentary elections. This is an attribution of the president. But uh, the Congress changed this attribution illegally again uh, and used their power in the, the, the court, in the judiciary, to, uh, yes, uh, legalize this unconstitutional decision. So on the other hand, we have um, also the harassment of the court. They started a political persecution, not only against Pedro Castillo. First of all, they started attacking uh, Peru Libre, which was the organization. They, um, yes, they attacked uh, uh, his leader, which was uh, Vladimir Zarrón, a politician in Peru. They also attacked the structure of the party and the, 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 the court ordered the detention, the arrest of most of the political dirigents or leads of this party. And after isolating Castillo from um, his political party, they start, oh, at the same time that they were isolate, isolating Castillo from his political party, they started to uh, attack any leftist uh, measure, any leftist policy that he could uh, decide to, to take. For instance, naming uh, ministers, leftist ministers. There's, there's the case of Hector Bejar, who was uh, a minister in Peru and who, who was attacked by the press and also by the na Navy um, uh, until he was pushed to resign. Also, the, the Prime Minister Guido Bellido, who decided to renegotiate the, the contracts with the uh, extractive uh, transnational enterprises, he was pushed to resign by the media, and also uh, by, yes, by the attack of the media, by the attack of the bourgeoisie, by spreading a lot of lies against the government, by separating the government from uh, the middle class of professionals, because it was also something important to to um, to push uh, to, to to make the coup to isolate the government from the technocrats from the technocrats. Yes, uh, trying to say that the president was an ignorant that how you are going to serve to a corrupt government and all the stuff. So there was an isolation of the president and all uh, uh, during all his government, he was attacked. He was. Um, uh, he, well, well, in press said constantly that he was an ignorant, that his family was corrupt. They, um, well, the, 
the court impressioned her his daughters. So it was uh, a strategy to isolate again the president. And of course, uh, we can say that the president also had uh, mistakes. He uh, give, gave in to the pressures of uh, the ruling class. He thought perhaps that by taking these decisions, by accepting the demission of Hector Bejar or by changing the prime minister, he was going to, to make the change that the country needs peacefully. But of course, the ruling class uh, didn't want a change a peaceful change or a radical change, they didn't want any change. So yeah, perhaps that was the, the mistake. But what I wanted to say with this is that for me and for many people who have lived uh, the government of Pedro Castillo, uh, we consider that in Peru there was already an illegal, an illegal regime before Castillo decided to close the parliament because the Congress violated the constitution because the media also was constantly, uh, yes, uh, spreading lies. And there was no way to control this because the courts constantly violated the presumption of innocence, which is a principle of any, of any constitu constitutional system. And they were uh, pushing to uh, impression uh, the, um, the family of the president and all the stuff. So there was no... Uh, legal regime for us and there was no way to um, return to that legal regime and in that context yeah castillo decided to close the congress and by that um yeah um he was arrested because of that he was arrested but it's also important i think to understand that if castillo gave in to the pressures at first by the last two or three months of, of his government he started to retake contact with the population he organized some manifestations in in um yes the the well with, with the people in lima but also in the regions and and in in those manifestations people constantly demand um, as Betty said, close the Congress and call to a national um, constitu constituent assembly. So, uh, yeah, there are many hypotheses of why Castillo took that decision. One of them is that, uh, yeah, he, there are a lot of hypotheses. Some of them are very, very strange. But there is not, it has not been considered one hypothesis. That is that, uh, yeah, Castillo decided to give back the power of the to the people so we can, by the struggle, define who is going to uh, rule the government. And I think that the events, the struggle that has been started, that started after Castillo was arrested, is precisely the result of this decision that Castillo took, right? Because, because by giving back the power to the people, the people uh, have decided now that they don't want this government and they want to, uh, yeah, more radical measures, right? It was impossible uh, to make any change institutionally in Peru because all the system was, uh, first of all, was violated by the Congress, by the media um, and by the courts. And of course, with the uh, with, um, with, um, support of the bourgeoisie. And now by the struggle and by the protest is possible again 
to make more radical change. So how started the, pro the, the protest? We must say uh, that the protest started by the pressure of South Peasants. As Betty said, again, um, South Peasants was the sector that supported Pedro Castillo the most. It's interesting to understand uh, South Peasants because there is the idea of an individual farmer when we talk about um, yes, peasants. But in Peru, there is, yeah, there are of course individual farmers, but South Peasants are in general communal, communal uh, farmers or yes, communal peasants. We, we call them communal peasants. They are part of communal organizations which democratically decide how to uh, make the, yes, the, the exploitation of, of the land and also how to trade with the city. So it's a different form of peasant, peasantry. And this uh, peasantry is more radical. It has been always the class that has voted for radical changes in 2006, voted for uh, Ollantumala, who was very radical, also in 2011, and has constantly been deceived and treasoned by um, the political class. This sector has started this struggle. And in the south of the country, in, in, immediately, most of the urban sectors, the working class and the students joined to this struggle. Um, and yeah, they started the protest against the government of Dina Boluarte. Uh, that we must remind, remind us, as Betty said, again, he was the vice president and he promised that if Pedro Castillo was removed, she was also going to leave the, the, the charge. But she didn't do it. She has uh, decided to continue with the government, and he has named uh, Otarola, Alberto Otarola, as the prime minister. Some, some, Alberto Otarola is also the responsible of the repression against the peasants in 2012, when Umala treasoned the government, the, the, his promise of, of transformation. Uh, Alberto Otarola was um, in charge of the army, so he ordered also the repression. He, his his background, his history of repression comes from, from a very long time. And some of the people think that actually Otarola is the, the real chief of the government because the way how, how the government has evolved is constantly giving more and more power to the, to the army, more and more power to the police, and less and less power to the civic institutions. So that's also why some of the people in Peru Say, say that we are living, and actually we are living a uh, dictatorship uh, where um, constitutional rights are not respected and when, where there is a, a, a greater control of the political power in the hands of army and also in, of police institution. So, as I said, peasant uh, from the South, communal peasants started the protest and working class joined in the cities of the South. However, uh, we consider, or for, for what we have seen in, in Peru, that the support of the urban classes are not being enough. Um, it could be better. Um, there could be higher improvement. However, there's, uh, there's still a great support. There is a great solidarity in Peru, which comes from the working class uh, and also from, from the students' organization. As you may know, students in San Marcos and the National University of Engineering which are like most greatest public university in Peru, have um, given, have offered their, um, yes, their, their uh, buildings to receive uh, 
the, the peasants that are coming to, to protest in, in Peru. So while in the National University of Engineering, uh, it was a decision of the authorities and the students, in the National University of San Marcos, it was a decision of the students' movement. They decided to take the university and to offer, socialize if you want, the, the control of the university to democratize the, the control of the university and put it um, in favor of the of the peasants and and also the the working people that was coming to Peru. So uh, since the government saw that this was like the headquarters of the movement, this was the place where uh, the protest uh, the, the the people from the south had um, food had um, a house. Well, they decided to. Uh, yes, take control, retake the control of the university by using the force. Um, yeah, that's that's what happened recently. They um, they um, yes violated the the university's autonomy, which is uh, a constitutional right. Again, a constitutional right, uh, and it's important because constitutional rights are being constantly <laughs> violated in Peru. That's that's not something um, that's something we should mention. They also arrested people without the presence of any civic authority. There was no civi civilian authorities where they, uh, when they arrested people. And yeah, they took them uh, and imprisoned them by two days. Um, and of course, with the violence and all that stuff, we have the videos of the humiliation, humiliation of, of the people um, that was arrested. Uh, the, the answer of, of, the, of the people was um, the solidarity of popular organizations, but of the working class and of certain sectors of the middle class. Uh, and, and, and yeah, some of us consider that what happened in San Marcos has produced a change in the correlation of forces in the support of, of the government because now uh, biggest parts of the middle class are uh, yeah, also demanding the resignment of Dina Boluarte, so it's important. However, uh, we think that it's not uh, enough to um, uh, just ask for the resign of Dina Boluarte. There is, there is a great movement who is demanding some other stuff. One of them is the resigning of Dina Boluarte, of course, but also uh, the, the referendum for a, for a, a constituent assembly and also the freedom of Pedro Castillo. So um, these are like the, the, the three great uh, demands of the population. Um, and yeah, that's like what is joining the movement in Peru. Of course, as, again, as I said before, the bourgeoisie and the government is giving more and more power to the police and to the army because those are just the only institutions who are supporting this government. And the mass mobilization, the protests continue to rise and also the international pressure. However, we think that it's not going to be enough. We have to continue supporting the protests in Peru and we have to continue supporting the mass mobilizations and we have to make whatever is possible from where we are to isolate the government and to push him to resign and also to, to stop with the violation of, of constitutional rights and also uh, to calling to, to call for a constituent assembly in Peru. So that, that's like a, a brief uh, resume of what was happening. Let's see.
Yeah, well, uh, thank you everyone for coming. And we, we had two really very interesting and, uh, and uh, wonderful speakers from, from Peru. They know more about the situation than, than, than I do, but I wanted to add a few uh, points. The first one is that I think that many people in this room, they, they're not fully aware of the scope and, uh, and the bravery of this uh, courage of this movement of workers and peasants in, in Peru. The media in Britain has remained almost silent about this. We're talking about the situation where the police and the army have killed, I don't know how many, perhaps up to 60 people in uh, just over a month, 62 people, 64. Every day there's more reports of more people being killed. And when we're talking about people being killed, we're talking about the police using uh, assault rifles. The, 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 the Peruvian police carries an assault rifle, which is called an AKM which is basically a modified version of an AK-47. This is a, a war weapon that's being used against the civilian uh, population. Many people have been killed by direct hits from assault rifles to the head, right? Uh, others have been killed by uh, pellets uh, shot from uh, police uh, guns. And in order to be killed by uh, pellets, you have to be hit many times or at very close range. Otherwise, you'll just have injuries, right? So we're talking about 60 people being killed by the police and the army, because the army has been used against the unarmed civilian population uh, over and over again. The first massacre was on the 15th of December, the day when uh, there was a general strike against the coup. The coup was on the 7th of December. By the 15th, the movement had grown into a general strike called by the CGTP, the Main, Main Trade Union Confederation, and, and many other organizations. And uh, at that time, uh, the people, the, the, this is an insurrectionary movement. The people don't these are not just normal demonstrations where people march from A to B and demand something. People want power. They, they, they cannot accept a basic thing, which is that they put a president in power whom they consider one of their own, i.e. a teacher, trade unionist, from a rural uh, area. And uh, the oligarchy has decided to remove him. So the people does not just want to protest, they want the president back and they want the oligarchy out. And the whole the Congress uh, closed and they, should, they kicked them all out. That's the basic idea of this. So the people on the 15th, in many different places, in, uh, in uh, Cusco, in Arequipa, in Ayacucho, in many of these uh, Andean uh, region cities, they decided to take over the airports, to blockade the roads, to take over the installations of public buildings and so on. And it was in these clashes at the airport, for instance, in, uh, in Ayacucho. In Ayacucho alone, on that day, I think 10 people were killed. 20 people were killed across the country in that, uh, the massacre on that day. One would have thought that during the Christmas uh, break, the movement would go uh, down, it would go back home and, and, and be defeated. But no, on the 4th of January, an all-out general strike in the, in the south uh, restarted. And people again fought. Uh, for, for what they believe, it's, uh, it's their right. Democratic, basic democratic uh, demands. On the 9th of January, just over two weeks ago, 10, ten days ago, uh, in Juliaca, in Puno, again, the, the army and the police opened fire on unarmed demonstrators, killing nine people in one day in one town. And, and so on. We can give many different examples of, uh, of, uh, of uh, this. And people should familiarize themselves with these facts. 
because they're not reported in the mass media. You, the most that you see is an article on the BBC website saying that some uh, foreign tourists are stranded in a Machu Picchu and they can't uh, and they can't come back. And and of course that's that's to be to be uh, mentioned. But that's not what is happening in Peru. What's happening in Peru is that one, there has been a coup, a coup against democracy. That's basic fact. And who's behind this coup? People in Peru are saying this is this is a es un, es un golpe patronal, empresarial. Is 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 a, is a coup carried out by the ruling class, by the capitalist class. Confiep, the Confederation of Private uh, Businesses, which is like the, the, the Peruvian CBI, is behind this coup. Uh, the U.S. Embassy is behind this coup. The U.S. Uh, ambassador, very nice uh, lady. Uh, I am I am joking. I'm I'm trying to be ironic. <laughs> sorry, sorry if I if that was uh, misunderstood. No, the 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 U.S. ambassador was meeting with the coup plotters the day before, and who which was the first country to recognize the coup? The United uh, the United States. So that tells you all you need to know about this coup. This is a coup in favor of the, of the bosses' organizations, the capitalist uh, oligarchy, and the mining multinationals, which play a key role in the Peruvian uh, economy. Peru is a rich country. It's a wealthy country. And this uh, Castillo was completely right. His uh, election slogan, for which the oligarchy will never, uh, will never, uh, will never forgive him, thank you, uh, was Never again, poor people in a rich country. Nunca más pobres en un país rico. And that kind of uh, sums up the political economy of Peru, if you want, and the, the meaning of this struggle. Peru is uh, one of the largest producers in the world of copper, of gold, and many other uh, minerals. Lithium, uh, Peru is part of the lithium uh, triangle together with uh, Bolivia, Argentina, uh, Chile and so on. And uh, the other day, another nice lady, this is irony, another nice lady who's now, who's now the head, the, the, the general in the US uh, Army, and, and she's the US Navy, and she's now the head of the South Command of the US Navy, the US uh, Army. And she said, in a, in a, she was talking to the Atlantic Council, which is where they decide the imperialist policy towards Latin America, and she said, she said, Latin America is very important for us. It has many uh, natural resources, including uh, lithium, which is very important. But, but these resources are not the United States uh, resources. These resources are this, should be this country's resources, but they are not. As the comrades have explained, for, for 30 years now, Peru has been uh, looted by multinationals and private corporations. There are 17 uh, big economic groups that control the country's economy, 17. I'm not talking about a large number of people, uh, talking about 17 families that control the country's economy. The country's media is extremely monopolized. There's one group that controls most of the newspapers, TV stations, website uh, news uh, outlets, and, and radio stations, and so on. Um, and then on top of this, there's the multinationals from Spain, controlling uh, telecoms, banking. Uh, and from many other countries, uh, as it's a very wealthy, uh, as a very wealthy place, there's, there's uh, Canadian multinationals, Chinese multinationals, there's Mexican multinationals, and yes, there are also British multinationals heavily involved in mining in uh, in uh, Peru. Last year, 
the, the country that has the largest amount of investment in mining in Peru was the United Kingdom. Right? So, so that's why what's happening in Peru is not something that's happening in a country far away about which we know very little. It's uh, something that's directly uh, linked to the designs of the imperialist ruling class in this country. Uh, Anglo-American, BHP, uh, Hochschild, and I can't remember the names of all the mining uh, companies, but, but many of them are based in this, uh, in this uh, country. And they go there and they exploit this. Uh, and, and, and what was Castillo's program? Castillo's program was, in fact, very moderate, if you think about it. First of all, he said, we're going to renationalize the gas field at Camisea. This is a basic uh, demand. Shouldn't be in the hands of foreign multinationals. He also said, we're going to renegotiate the contracts with the multinationals. He didn't say we're going to expropriate them, which, which in my opinion, he should perhaps have said. But, uh, but uh, he said, we're going to renegotiate the contracts. So that the contracts are more favorable that the royalties and tax that these uh, companies pay are, are, are larger. And so, and so that with this money, which is, belongs to this country, this country is wealthy, we're going to improve the living conditions of the people. How many times have you, have you heard this before? How many presidents in Latin America have attempted this? And where have they ended up? With coups, military coups, US uh, state intervention, and so on. And so the same thing happened with Castillo. But Castillo said, and if the mining multinationals don't want, don't accept the renegotiation, then we will uh, uh, expropriate them. It's a perfectly uh, reasonable, very moderate uh, program that he defended, but one that obviously was against the interest of the 17 families, US uh, imperialism, and the big multinationals. And from the very beginning, they, uh, they uh, I mean, he won by a very small margin. I think it's about 500 or 800 votes in, in the last count of the second round. But he got, won big majorities in the whole of the South. In the mining districts, he got over 80% of the, of the vote. The people, the workers, the peasants, the poor, they wanted uh, fundamental change. And fundamental change in uh, Peru also means uh, an end to national uh, oppression. In these districts in the South, 80% of the people speak Quechua or Aymara, uh, their own languages. And this is, this is not recognized as a extreme racism linked to capitalist domination in, uh, of the capitalist oligarchy. In Peru, and that's that's the meaning. When when they say we want to constitute an assembly, what they what they're basically saying, we want to change everything. We want to to change all the institutions in the way this country is being uh, run. And uh, I'd say this: Look, uh, it's not that Peru doesn't need a, a new constitution because the constitution they have dates back to 1993. It was the constitution that uh, Fujimori uh, implemented in the first year of his uh, coup. How can you have a country that's supposed to be a democracy with a constitution? Plus, Congress over 20 years has, um, has, has passed so many amendments to this uh, constitution. The constitution is completely meaningless any, anymore. But I will add one thing, uh, in my opinion, just, just my opinion, I don't know whether the comrades will agree or not, but a con constituent assembly in itself is not enough because uh, what Peru needs is not just a change of political uh, organization, the political setup. It needs the expropriation of the oligarchy. And uh, a new constitution can be a very nice thing. Many countries in Latin America have had constituent assemblies not so long ago. Venezuela, uh, Ecuador, Bolivia. In some cases, it's worked out better. In some cases, it is not worked out. I mean, Ecuador has a new constitution. And it says it's a plurinational country. And the oligarchy in Ecuador still rules because they have economic power. And through economic power, they have political uh, power. 
the, 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 the oligarchy needs to be uh, overthrown, not just politically, but also economically. This is my, my opinion. Now, back to, the, back to the movement, I think that this is a heroic uh, movement. And the fact that after 60, over 60 people have been killed, and it's not only that. Imagine, imagine a situation like this. Most of the districts in the north, but also now Lima, Callao, and, and so on, are under the state of emergency. What does the state of emergency mean? The constitutional guarantees are no longer valid. I, there's no freedom of expression. There's no freedom of uh, assembly. There's no freedom of uh, movement. There's no freedom of uh, organization. All these freedoms can be uh, violated by the police under the state of, uh, of emergency. This is now legal in uh, many districts in the country. The other day, the, the government extended the curfew, which is already in existence in a number of districts in the south, extended the curfew in Puno for another 10 days. This means people cannot leave their homes from, I think it's from 10 p.m. to 4 a.m. In the, in the morning. They cannot leave their homes. I mean, th this, is, uh, this is like, uh, it's a, like a military police dictatorship. That's, that's what it is. A government that's a regime that's only in power through brute repress brutal uh, repression of its own uh, people. And despite that, the people are not uh, being caught. They're not giving in and they continue fighting. On the 14th, was it the 14th of uh, January? No, the, the 19th of January, they call for a march on Lima. They call it La Marcha de los Cuatro Suyos which is a reference to two things. The march in uh, 2000, which brought down uh, the Fujimori dictatorship finally. And, uh, and also the Cuatro Suyos is the, the, the four cardinal points of the country, administrative divisions of the Inca Empire, meaning, meaning the whole country is coming down to Lima to kick out this, uh, this regime. This is, this, is, uh, this is quite something. Uh, I will say, the one aspect in which the movement is still, or perhaps two aspects in which the movement is still weak uh, or could improve, is one, the, the level of coordination and organization of the, of the movement. There are many different organizations involved. There is a certain degree of coordination, but still, like for instance, the other day, there were, there were two separate demonstrations in, in Lima on the 19th. One was going to one place, the other one was going to Congress. There's a certain element of, uh, of uh, this lack of coordination. The other, the other point is that the participation of the working class, although it's been very important, is not still, still not what it could be. There is one section of the working class that has not yet entered the struggle, and this is the mine workers. If the mine workers, there's about 200,000 or more, maybe perhaps up to 300,000 mine workers in, in Peru, is the key section of the working class. If the mine workers enter on a, on a general strike, then the regime is, is finished. They can't resist that for a very long period of time, and they have not yet. The Mine Workers Federation is participating in the movement, is uh, present at the demonstrations, but there's still no strike of the mine workers. And, and the Mine Workers met, Mine Workers Federation met about a week ago, and they decided to go on an all-out strike from the 14th of February. I, I'd say this is a bit uh, long. It sh should come earlier, but I don't know, perhaps they, they, I mean, I don't know exact discussions that took place. Perhaps they need some more time to discuss, convince all the workers. If they go on strike on the 14th of uh, February, that will be another big step forward for the, for the movement. Because, and I'll finish with this, what is posed in uh, Peru is a very simple question. Who rules the country? Who rules the country? Is it the majority of the people in a democratic election? Is it the working people and the peasants who, who voted for a president? Or is it the unelected, unaccountable, corrupt, murderous oligarchy 
uh, and, and their political parties and their agents in the state apparatus, in the army, uh, same people who carried out the dirty war and the, and the Fujimori, in the police, the control of the media and the mining multinationals in the US embassy. Who rules the country? Is it one or the other? The people of Peru decided to put Castillo in, uh, in government. And I have many criticisms of, uh, of uh, Castillo. Castillo, Castillo faced with a, with, a, with a Congress that was boycotting his, uh, his uh, uh, initiatives. He then decided to start making uh, concessions. He went to the United States. He had a meeting with, uh, with the US Chamber of, uh, of uh, Investors and this and that. And he said, no, uh, private property is going to be respected. We're not going to touch the interest of them. But still, they could not accept him because he is, uh, he is let's put it this way, he's a, he's a man of the people. He comes from the working uh, class. Uh, he was wearing his uh, peasant uh, hat in the presidential office. Imagine that. The oligarchy, capitalist oligarchy, cannot accept that. They have ruled the country for 200 years at their leisure, and they're not going to give up uh, power easily. So that's what's at stake. Who rules the country? And I will say that what, what uh, will be a step forward will be if, if, the, if the, all these organizations co convene the National Assembly, but not a constituent assembly called by a corrupt Congress, but, but one called by the working people themselves. There are many organizations, uh, the defense fronts, uh, regional defense fronts, uh, peasant uh, organizations, the peasant uh, rondas campesinas, the trade unions, all these organizations who get together and call a national assembly of elected delegates and say, we are the people, we rule the country, and you have no power in, uh, in here. And that will bring things to, uh, to a head. This is already what's being uh, prepared. Now, we don't know how the movement is going to end in, uh, in uh, Peru. We have uh, full confidence and we have, I would say, uh, enormous admiration for this, for this movement. That's, uh, I, I have to confess, when I, I was writing an article on the day of the coup, and uh, if you read it, at the end it says, it's not, not, uh, what needs, what's not clear is how strong will be the response of the, of the people. I didn't know because uh, many people had become disillusioned in Castillo's concessions to the ruling class. But nevertheless, the people came out again. When they went to the Christmas break, I didn't know whether the movement was going to restart after that. I mean, repression was already quite heavy at that uh, time. But the people have come out once and again. You, you can't fault the Peruvian uh, workers, peasants, and student uh, youth. And uh, whichever, way, whichever way the movement uh, ends up, how, however many things they, they achieve, because now I think, <laughs> Uh, contrary to what it seems, the government is not strong. The government is very weak, I will say. A recent opinion poll said that 80-something percent reject the president, 90-something percent reject the Congress. Uh, this is the basis of this uh, movement. It is deep hatred of all the rotten bourgeois oligarchic uh, institutions. But this is down to the people in uh, Peru. What is, our, what is our duty here? Our duty is to organize the solidarity, internationalist solidarity. This might not seem like a lot, but uh, the, the, the British uh, labor movement is quite strong. It has millions of people in trade unions, which is now starting to move. And this pressure should, should be used to organize solidarity with the working people in uh, Peru, being killed for defending basic democratic uh, rights. And our first duty is one, to uh, explain what is happening, because the, the bourgeois media is not saying uh, anything. It's a conspiracy of silence. We all heard 
about what's uh, happening in Brazil the other day. We all hear about what's happening, I don't know, in, uh, in, uh, sorry, in Ukraine. We all hear about what they are interested in telling us, but we don't hear about the, the struggle of working people in, uh, in uh, Peru, because this is a dangerous example uh, from the point of, uh, of view. So first of all, we need to spread inform truthful information. Number two, we need to mobilize. There have been a couple of, uh, uh, of pickets in uh, London, one at the Trafalgar Square, the other one at Parliament Square. Uh, we need to come out in more numbers. And it cannot be just uh, Peruvians and, and uh, Latin American solidarity organizations. It has to be, uh, has to be everyone, uh, students, workers, trade unionists. And then we need to bring this movement into our own organizations. If, if comrades here are members of a trade union, they should bring a motion to the trade union uh, branch. If, you, if you're members of a Marxist society, you should organize a meeting. Uh, yeah, we, should, we, should, uh, we should spread the word about what is uh, happening because our class, the working class, is an international class. And our victory for our class in Peru is a victory for our, for our class here. And a defeat for our class in Peru will also be a defeat for us here. It will make us weaker in our own struggle. And a victory for us here, an advance of the working class movement in Britain, will also, will also help the movement in uh, Peru. Uh, from many points of view, but one point of view which is very important is the fact that the mining multinationals that are exploiting and looting uh, Peru, many of them are based in this, uh, in this city, in, uh, in London, not far away from here, uh, where we are meeting uh, now. So yeah, that's what I wanted to say. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thanks very much for listening. But before you go, if you'd like to keep up to date with the situation in Peru and across Latin America, then make sure you head to the website of the International Marxist Tendency, In Defense of Marxism, where you can find regular articles and analysis from a Marxist perspective. Just head to marxist.com or follow the link in the show notes of this podcast. And as always, if you agree with the ideas and the analysis put forward in this discussion, then you should definitely consider getting involved with Socialist Appeal and the International Marxist Tendency. The International Marxist Tendency has sections across the world, including in Britain and across Latin America. So please do get in touch by using the link in the show notes of this podcast. And finally, if you'd like to support the work that we do here at Socialist Appeal, then you should definitely consider taking out a subscription our fortnightly newspaper, Socialist Appeal, which is packed with news and analysis from a Marxist perspective. Or you could consider supporting the fight for socialism by donating to the organization. Any amount, large or small, is much appreciated and it will go a long way in building the forces of Marxism that are necessary to lead the working class to victory in the fight against capitalism. So, we'll leave it there for this week's episode and make sure you subscribe for future episodes covering Marxist theory, revolutionary history and current events. Thank you once again for listening to Marxist Voice, the podcast of Socialist Appeal.